0: So today's reading is from Mark chapter 14, starting from verse 32 on page 964 of the Bibles that were on your seats when you came in. They went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray, so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping, because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest cutting off his ear am I leading a rebellion said Jesus that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you did not arrest me but the scriptures must be fulfilled then everyone deserted him and fled a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following jesus when they seized him he fled naked leaving his garment behind they took jesus to the high priest and all the high chief priests the elders and the teachers of the law came together peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest there he sat with guards and himself, warmed himself, sorry, warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then someone stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands and in three days will build another not made with hands. Yet even then their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, "Are Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophecy. And the guards took him and beat him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Lucy. So I just want to keep repeating that in these series that we follow this year, which the first one of which concludes today with David speaking to us we're seeking to follow Jesus to become more like him and that's at the heart of what we're about in this first term of this year where we're pressing into discipleship so we all our teaching series throughout the year are about discipleship in one way or another but in this particular term that will end just after Easter we're following Jesus to become more like him and then in the next term we'll follow Jesus to change the world as we start to look outwards And then in the final term of the year, in the autumn term, we'll be following Jesus to love each other. Um, So David's going to come and conclude this first series for us. So let's uh, welcome David and pray for him. Father, we do thank you for David. We thank you for his love of your word. We thank you for his faithfulness to it in his teaching. And we pray now, Lord God, that as he speaks to us, that you might speak your life into us that you might reveal the goodness of Jesus to us afresh. And we pray, Lord Jesus, give him great joy as he speaks and ministers in your name this morning. And give us receptive hearts and minds, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Good
2: morning. Excuse me, I'm just coming off the end of a cold, so if I keel over at any point, just bear with me. Um, I've always loved this, uh, the story of Gethsemane, Jesus in Gethsemane. Uh, I think the thing which I like about it is it's um, the place in the Bible where we see Jesus uh, perhaps is most human. Uh, he's looking ahead, he knows what's coming, And he weeps for the fear and the shame that's coming his way. And he prays the wonderful prayer, uh, not my will, but your will be done. A Prayer I often find myself echoing in my own prayers. And so I kind of imagined when I was given this passage that that would kind of be the focus of what I was going to say. But as I looked at it, particularly looked at it with... uh, through the lens of discipleship. Um, other things were standing out to me. I noticed that the people who had been following Jesus, Peter, James, John, Judas, the, his disciples, who spent three years following him around, all of them fall into different pitfalls. They all make different mistakes, which I think are very common mistakes we can make in our own discipleship. And what Jesus is going on to do is a very powerful answer to those pitfalls. So I want to kind of focus on uh, that this morning. So earlier in the evening, they've uh, been celebrating the Passover. Jesus and his disciples have been looking back into the history of Israel um, and remembering the time where they were slaves in Egypt and the plague of the death of the firstborn was being visited upon Egypt and they each household slew a lamb and by taking the blood of the lamb and putting it around the lintels of their door uh, the their firstborns were preserved and they were uh, freed uh, from slavery as a result of that so that's what they've been doing earlier in the evening and as part of that meal uh, Jesus instituted a new feast which we are celebrating this morning and so that's where they're coming from and they've, they're friends, you know, they've been having a meal together, they've been eating, drinking, talking laughing, they've had a really good evening you, you, you imagine and then towards the end of the meal Jesus starts eating maudlin and um, There's obviously something on his mind. And they go out and they find a a dark garden, somewhere isolated. Uh, And Jesus leaves most of the 12 uh, in one place, and he goes off with just the three, the inner circle of the disciples. And they go off by themselves, and then he leaves those three to keep watch, because he knows that someone will be coming for him. And he goes off by himself to pray. And he prays this prayer of sorrow and fear and pain and so distressed is he that uh, in one of the other gospels it describes him sweating blood and he asks for the cup to be taken away he asks the impossible and when he returns to his disciples his friends who he, he trusts and have been following around for three years he finds that they have fallen asleep. They're not keeping watch. They're not doing what he asked them to do. So he wakes them up and uh, says, why don't you, you pray? You know, that'll keep you awake. And he goes off again. He prays. And the disciples, you can imagine them there, they're really keen to do what it is they've been asked to do. They want to do what it is they've been asked to do. So they're like, yes, let's pray. We're going to pray. Let's, let's close your eyes. Let's, and Lord God. And again, they fail to do what they've been asked to do. They don't have the strength to do what they've been asked to do. Jesus comes back and he finds them and he says, "The spirit is willing, and the flesh is weak." And he goes away and he prays again and again. They fail to do what it is he asks them to do. I wonder how often in our discipleship we know what it is that we need to do. We know what the right thing to do is, what we've been asked to do. And we want to do the right thing. But our flesh is weak. And we fail to do it. I'm sure we all have those times. And Jesus comes and he finds him asleep a third time and he says, I like the way it's put in this translation. He says, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! Exclamation point. The time has come. And it's like Jesus is putting a full stop at the end of their weakness and saying, your weakness, I will now answer with my strength. And that's when a crowd of men come to arrest him. And with that crowd of men is another one of Jesus' friends, Judas, who comes up uh, to Jesus and greets him with a kiss and says, Rabbi, because that's the signal he agreed that he would use to betray Jesus. But you've got to imagine, um, Paul talks in his uh, gospel about brothers uh, in Christ um, greeting each other with a holy kiss. You've got to imagine this was an ordinary thing for them to do. It was a, a sign of friendship and respect and love. So Judas, here he's greeting his master in an appropriate way. It's the right thing to do. But the way he is doing it and what he uh, is using it to mean is so far from the right thing. I shouldn't need to tell you that you shouldn't betray the Son of God. But how often do we do the right thing but do it in ways which because of the way we do it or because of our motivations in doing it nullify the goodness that's contained within it. How often do we come to church angry with someone and spend our time worshipping nurturing that anger? Something I've... um, only just kind of come to realize recently, we've been coming here for a few years and uh, in communion, something which I'd not done before was uh, sharing the peace. And I, I don't think I'd really appreciate before why we did that until just recently. And the reason is because Paul tells us uh, exactly that. Don't take communion if there are quarrels between you. Because it nullifies the goodness in that act of worship make sure you are right with each other before you break bread with each other and so that's why we get up and we mill around is because if there is someone you've got an you don't want to have to get up when everyone else is sitting down and go over and apologize (laughs) so what we do is we all share peace with each other and it gives us that opportunity to make sure we're right and we structure our services don't we with Confessions, prayers of confession and prayers of affirmation so that we know that when we come to worship we can be right with God so that's the second pitfall we can fall into doing the right thing in the wrong way anyway they arrest him and they take him to trial and all the disciples flee but Peter follows from a distance And he goes right up to the, uh, the courtyard of the high priest. Jesus is being put on trial. He attends the trial of Jesus. And it says the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. So, this is a trial where they are looking for people to speak against Jesus. And many stand and give testimony, but their testimony doesn't add up. And Peter is there. So, who does the Bible say spoke up for Jesus? The Bible tells us no one spoke up for Jesus. Peter is there in the room, or possibly just outside the room, but listening to this going on. And he will not speak up for his friend. And how often do we know the thing that we need to say and stay silent? You know, these things, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands for any of this, but I imagine most hands would go up. I imagine most of us have something in our heads at the moment. Matthew, very graciously, after uh, I shared this in the first service, uh, confessed to... uh, One of his. I don't know if he's going to do it today. But you can ask him about it afterwards if he doesn't. (laughs) Um, So these are the... Not all. I'm not even sure they're all of the ones in this passage. But these are some of the pitfalls we can fall into. In the course of our discipleship. Not doing the right thing. Not doing what we know we ought to do. Not being strong enough. Doing the right thing in the wrong way. Not speaking up when we know what it is we need to say and what is Jesus' answer to this after the trial they beat him they take him outside the city and they murder him they nail him to a cross and they lift him up naked bloodied in the heat of the midday sun and he dies maybe that's a pretty poor answer to our weakness but what does it mean I've been uh, as I'm sure many people here have since January I've been doing one of these um, read a little bit of the Bible every day and by the end of the year you'll have read the whole Bible things and uh, it's going well so far. Um, I've got through most of uh, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. So uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. I'm just starting. I'm in the, the first few chapters of Deuteronomy at the moment. And so I'm I'm deep in the story of those uh, first people, whom God, and all of the uh, the laws and the agreements that He. With them. It's a story which begins, as our story today begins, in a garden. A garden where God and man walk together in the cool of the evening. A place where the realm of God, the realm of man, are indistinguishable from one another. Where heaven and earth touch. And because of what people did, that bond was broken. And so the story goes on. God chooses a family, and the family become a nation. And the nation are drawn out of slavery, as we said, by the blood of a lamb. And because the firstborns were saved... The firstborns became consecrated to God. And then later in uh, Numbers, those firstborns are redeemed for the Levites who become the priests. So the firstborns that were saved become the priests. And the priests attend the presence of God in the tabernacle, which is a tent that was built where once again, heaven and earth could touch and the realm of man and the realm of God were starting to be brought back together and if you read the description there's incredibly detailed descriptions of how they were to build the tent and I've not seen this before um, but part of uh, the scheme I'm doing has some explanations and they pointed out that all of the imagery in the tent of the lampstand to the carvings around the altar to the embroidery on the the sheets of the tent all of it is garden imagery because the tabernacle which went on to become the temple was to be that eden the place where heaven and earth could touch and in Leviticus and uh, parts of Exodus and uh, Deuteronomy, there are all these purity laws about how to make that space special and how to keep it special and how to keep the people who go into that space special so that those that link could be kept and the realm of man and the realm of God could continue to touch. So Jesus came. In one of, uh, possibly the beginning of John's gospel, it says, he came and he tabernacled with us. He became that link. And everywhere he went, there heaven was. And so when he died, this firstborn son, this priest, this lamb who was slain, he brought heaven with him. The title of this talk that I was given was Jesus, the one who lays down his life for his friends. And in many parts of the world, that's something which is very real. But I can't pretend that in Camborne, martyrdom is is a likely part of what's going to happen on your front lines. It just isn't in this country. You know, if I was giving this talk in other parts of the world, it would be very different. But the meaning of Jesus' death is that he gives to us, even in our weakness, he gives to us the gift of the Spirit and the gift of the presence of God. And so when we go out into the world, we are that tabernacle presence. We take heaven with us. One of the people who heard the uh, first service came up to me afterwards and said, came up to us and said, came up to me and said, "Uh, you didn't ask us to die for Christ, you asked us to live for him. i've stolen that now (laughs) paul says to live is christ and to die is gain and i think that's the essence of discipleship we're talking about discipleship all year and the essence of discipleship is that we look at jesus we learn to be like him And then we go out and we take the actual presence of God with us into the world. And so everyone we speak to, every conversation we have, every person we are kind to, every interaction we have is a meeting point between heaven and earth. God's kingdom come and his will being done on earth as in heaven. Amen.